All right. Well, if you can turn in your Bibles or open on your phones to uh, Jeremiah 29, 1 through 14 is where we'll be at this morning. And I'll go ahead and read the whole thing so we can get a broad picture of what we're looking at. And then we'll probably reread it to refresh ourselves a few times throughout the service. So, Jeremiah 29, 1 through 14. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles, and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. This letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shaphan and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to King Nebuchadnezzar, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. The very word of God. So it's a pleasure and a privilege to open God's Word with you this morning. Um, we've been talking through everyday holy days the past couple of weeks, and today our, our holiday, our holy day, is that we are celebrating our graduates, their accomplishments so far, and how they will, God will continue to work in their lives. And as uh, Pastor Dave had mentioned, while I think this message is particularly pertinent, For our graduates, God's Word has something to say from this passage for all of us, whether we are just graduating from high school, whether we're just graduating from college, or whether it's been just a few years since that's happened. I thought I would start with a little story. Uh, Many of you know my daughter, Naomi, and if you don't know her, just listen carefully and you will probably hear her um, as she runs about the church. Um, She loves to play hide-and-seek. 
And as you can imagine, with any small child, sometimes her hiding places are not particularly stealthy, if I might put it that way. Um, Although, in fairness, she occasionally has these shines of expert level, like the time she hid in her blanket basket in her room, and she gave scared me half to death when I walked in her room and her bed was empty and nap time was over. Um, but usually, she's fairly easy to spot. One of my favorite things to do, though, as I'm looking for her, is pretend that I can't find her. So I might look under the couch cushions. She's not here. I might look under the piano. She's not here. I might look inside her shoe. Be like, she's not here. Right? And meanwhile, she's simply sitting under our table, covering her eyes. And, um, you know, and she sometimes she gets excited and maybe a little bit impatient. And she simply yells or says something along the lines of, I'm right here. And so, is it possible that sometimes we treat God's plan for our life as this deep, hidden, unknowable thing, when in fact, God is right out in the open, shouting, I'm right here. So before we go any further, uh, let, let me pray again to get us started. God, show up this morning um, in my words. Um, my words are nothing, I'm nothing, um, We ourselves are nothing unless you move through our words, unless you move through our actions. So God, so we just ask this morning that you would speak to us, speak to our hearts, and um, let us be, let me be your instrument right now, and more importantly, let all of us be your instruments as we go out um, to our lives this week. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So you all know... I think, I know, the, I know the students know this, but I love the Old Testament, all right? I, I could talk about it all day. However, one of the tricky things with the Old Testament is that there's all this history behind, like, every passage. I'm getting in a fight with my mic here. And um, so before we dive into the passage properly, um, I want to look at some of the historical context and give you a brief history lesson. So bear with me. Okay, I know history is not always the most exciting thing, but bear with me here. Um, What's happening in this passage is the book of Jeremiah a lot of times takes place when the kingdom of Israel is divided into two parts. I thought about getting a map, but I'm not super great at drawing maps. If you ask any of the students, they know my artistic skills are lacking. So you're just going to have to picture this in your mind's eye. All right, so you've got two parts of the kingdom. You've got the northern kingdom, right, of Israel. You've got the southern kingdom of Judah. Now, the majority of the tribes make up this northern kingdom, and though that kingdom is taken into exile by Assyria in like 721 BC. Now, the tribes of Judah and Benjamin form this southern kingdom, and they're not entirely taken into exile until 586 BC. So our passage we're reading right here, the northern kingdom, gone, done, not a thing, all right? But the southern kingdom is still in existence. Now, when you look at verse 1, though, you see that Nebuchadnezzar, who's the king of Babylon, has deported, has taken some people from Jerusalem to Babylon. Most of the really important people, right? Because if you want to weaken any country, right, you take its most important people and leave everyone else behind, right? So he takes people like the queen mother, the current king, some of the court officials, all of those types of people. And he leaves behind kind of your everyday people. And 
um, if you wanted to read this whole story, actually, you could go to 2 Kings uh, 24. And that's, if, you, if in your own time you want to read that whole story of how that works, that's where to find it. But Nebuchadnezzar comes, lays siege to Jerusalem, takes these important people, takes the current king, replaces that king with a different king that he would rather rule. And that, this guy's name is Zedekiah. So there's still some people remaining in Jerusalem, but then you have this situation where there's also some people in Babylon. So at this point, you know, it's still possible to communicate from Jerusalem to Babylon. So this message we read today is Jeremiah's message. Jeremiah's in Jerusalem, and he is writing to Babylon, to the group of people that are there. So let's get to the actual letter. I'm going to reread um, Verses 4 through 7 to remind you of what it says. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. So, in this first section of the letter, God's people are challenged to live in obedience. Um, in these verses, we have a series of commands issued by God to his people, and they can be kind of grouped together. The first of these is build houses. So, those of you that have built houses know that, and honestly, even if you haven't built a house, you know that building a house is an investment. Right? It takes time, it takes resources, and it takes a lot of commitment. Because if you are planning on moving in one or two years, you're much less likely to build a house. Right? Similar is the idea of planting a garden. If you plant a garden, especially a very large garden that you're planning on really feeding you, you're not going to plant a garden then move out in a few months. Right? You're going to stay here to work the garden, weed the garden, do all of that. And then you want to be around to, you know, get the fruits, literally, of your work, right? So if you plant a garden, you're committing to stick around for that long. The second of these commands is to build families. Well, literally, God commands them to find wives for themselves or find wives for their sons and daughters. And um, what God is commanding them here is to multiply And have children. Well, why is this significant? Well, if you're only expecting to be living in a given place for a short period of time, especially if it's not your home, right, you might say, well, let's wait to get married until we are back home. Let's wait um, to have kids until until we are back home. And this makes sense, right? Like, even with all of our modern technology, right, with like cars and planes and all of those kinds of things, Traveling a long distance while you're pregnant is not a super pleasant experience, right? So you can only imagine back in ancient times that that's even more the case. Finally, God commands them to build peace. But this isn't any kind of peace, right? Any, anybody want to guess what the Hebrew word there is? I think I heard a, I heard a, so I think somebody muttered under their breath. Yes, shalom, right? This is actually shalom. I think in, uh, I think in the ESV it says welfare, right? And the idea of this is you are seeking the overall holistic wellness 
of the place you are living. Which, in fact, God wants his exiled people to build shalom among the very people that took them into captivity. Wild. All right. And this makes sense, though, because by pursuing the shalom of their captors, right, they're also increasing their own shalom. Right. It's kind of like a trickle down effect. Like you may have been in a situation where you work for someone who is stressed out. Okay. What happens to all of the employees who are working for the stressed out manager? They're stressed out. Right. And then what happens to the employees those employees supervise? They're stressed out. Right. So the opposite effect of that is if that the head person has peace, has shalom, is overall having good well-being, it trickles down. So it's the same idea of by pursuing the shalom of your captors, you're actually pursuing your own shalom as well. So why is God commanding all of this? We're removed from this hundreds of years later, so we're like, why Why is God commanding this? Well, this will become clearer the further we go, but I just want to focus in now that all of these are commands. God gives us commands that we are called to live in obedience, even when they're ones we're not excited to follow. Now, none of these things to us seem like bad things, right? These are all good things. Building houses, building families, planting gardens, building shalom. But you have to understand that in this context all these years ago, this was bad news for the people of Judah. Because by telling them this, God is saying, hey, you're going to be in captivity for a while. You're not going to be home for a while, which, as you can imagine, they were not super excited about. Right? So these commands, even though they're good things, Judah was not super excited to do them at this point. They're like, yeah, okay, let's do all of these things, but let's go back to Israel first. Let's go back to Judah first. Right? But they're faced with a choice. Do they obey God, right, and say, okay, like, this is what God's commanded me, I'm going to obey God. Or do they disobey and demonstrate that they don't trust what God says, that it's not really going to be a long time? They have to choose obedience. They have to choose to live in obedience, even though it is hard and not something they particularly want to do. And a quick side note here, because I couldn't let this side note pass by. For us as New Testament believers, people who are on the other side of Jesus— this passage has a beautiful picture of, uh, of how we interact with our neighbors and our communities we are in right now. Because we've been grafted into the people of God, right? We've been adopted into the people of God. We're a part of the kingdom of God. And so all of us, right, this very moment, are currently exiles. We are in a land that's not our home. No matter what country we are in, whether that is the United States, whether that is overseas in Asia, Africa, wherever that is, we are in exile because we are apart from the kingdom of heaven. And while we're away from our true home, we are called to pursue the shalom of whatever earthly kingdom, whatever earthly community we are a part of. All right, so that's a whole like different sermon, but I just like I couldn't pass it by, so I'm sorry. Um, so these people are faced with a choice: do they disobey God and listen to the voices other than the voice of the one true God, or 
do they listen to the true God as relayed by Jeremiah? And that leads me to my next point, which is limit the liars. All right? So in verses 8 through 9, it says, um, For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. So generally speaking, very generally, there are always two choices for God's people to listen to. Two voices. There's people who are speaking truth about God, about God's word, and there are people that are speaking lies. Now in these verses, God warns the people to avoid listening to those who claim to speak on behalf of God, but they're actually speaking for their own selfish gain. Because here's the thing. No one wants Jeremiah's job. We might look at the Old Testament and say, I would have loved to be a prophet, you know, speak on behalf of God, like... How about that, right? Here's the thing. Nobody wants Jeremiah's job because Jeremiah's job is frequently bringing bad news, okay? Like, yes, he's speaking on behalf of God, but more often than not, it's bad news, right? And nobody likes to be the one to bring bad news. There's like a slew of colloquialisms and phrases about like, don't shoot the messenger, don't, you know, nobody wants to be that person. Everybody wants to bring the good news, Right? Especially because the bringers of good news are usually received a lot better. So it reminds me, if you'll go on a semi nerdy tangent with me real quick, it reminds me of Lord of the Rings. All right? So some of you are like, I've never seen Lord of the Rings. Well, let me try to like give you a synopsis version, a summarized version here. So there's this wizard Gandalf, all right, who's the bringer of, who he's considered this bringer of bad omens. By this king. All right. The king accuses him of only bringing bad news. Like, dude, every time you show up, you just bring me bad news. Right? Like, what are you doing? Okay. But here's the thing. Gandalf is bringing bad news, of course. Like, that is what he's doing. But it's ultimately so things can get better. Right? Because the king is just trying to hide his head in the sand. Right? He doesn't want to deal with all of the bad things that are happening. He's just pretending they're not there. All right? And... Similarly, the exiled king, the exiled people, and the kings Jeremiah was communicating with, they didn't receive his messages well. They wanted to believe the good, happy words of God, that exile would be short, and that they would return home soon. And so, I will also say here, if you look at verses 15 through, like, the end of the chapter, all right, you can see that it's not a good end for the people who are speaking lies, all right? So I encourage you at some point to read, read through that because it's not God lets you know you might get away with it now with the people here, but later you, you ain't going to get away with it. I see you, right? Now, before we get too down on the Judahites, the people living in Judah, I want to go do a, tel- a tough self-examination here, all right? Do you ever struggle with this same tendency, the tendency of believing something you deep down know is false because you so deeply wanted it to be true? I don't know if you're like me, but I've had, you know, I've had this experience where I know deep down, I'm like, this is not, this is not true, right? This, I, I deep down know this, but I'm going to shove that down because I so deeply want this to be true. 
we have to be discerning on who we listen to. Graduates certainly must be, but that's a challenge for all of us, is that we have to be careful of knowing what is truth and what is not. And there's two traps we can fall into. I feel like this might be a Pastor Davism, but I'm not sure. Like, there's always, like, there's kind of our middle path we're aiming for, and we can fall into traps on either side. We can either fall into the trap of the hardest path is always the right path. Okay? That's not true. A lot of times, the hard, hard path is the right path. But we don't need to go looking to make things more difficult than they already are. Just because it's hard doesn't mean it's right. Sometimes things are hard because we're not making a wise decision or we're not following after God. All right? But we also can't fall into the trap that, of avoiding hard paths altogether. You know, what feels good is good. Right? Neither of those are good. We are not aiming to walk on the most difficult path, nor are we trying to walk on the most easiest path. We are trying to walk on the right path. And that is the one that is so difficult for us to find and relies on the Holy Spirit and relies on us seeking after God. Which brings me to my last challenge here, which is listen to truth. Verses 10 through 14. And, the, and I know I'm reading a lot, but, the, but this passage especially is one I know that many of us have turned to for hope and encouragement. So I'd like, I'm just going to read this one more time. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to this place from which I sent you into exile. So... This is a message of hope, right? Like I said, I'm sure many of us many a time have turned to this passage for encouragement, for the reassurance that God indeed does have plans for me. In fact, they are good plans, right? We have read that many times and seen it printed on many things, I'm sure. Like if you go to like the Christian bookstore right now, like you will find Jeremiah 29 11 printed on so many things for graduates. Like I'm not even kidding. You want a fun game? Go count. How many Jeremiah 29.11 things there are at the Christian store right now? All right. But this is also a challenging message. Because if we look at the start of this in verse 10, 70 years, whether it's a symbolic or a literal, literal number, I'm not going to get into that debate right now, is a long time to be in exile away from your home. And this is a much, much longer time than what the false prophets were saying. You know, the false prophets are like, yeah, it'll be a couple months, a couple years. God will bring us back. You know, like, we have the temple. We're God's holy city. He's not going to let us be in exile that long, right? Those are the false prophets. But here we have the true word of God that says it's going to be 70 years. That's like one and a half generations, all right? That is a long time. Yet, the beautiful plans God promises to his people, if they will just hold on, are astounding. 
His people are hurt, they're confused, feel abandoned, lost, away from home. Like, I can't imagine the level of, like, turmoil they would be feeling because I've been privileged to not have that experience of being ripped from everything I know. And actually, and I will say this, so some of you know I work with a a local refugee resettlement organization, and I, I, I do know what it looks like. I've never experienced, but I have seen firsthand some of these families that come that don't know the language. They don't, they, they come with like a suitcase, you know, like some, luckily with today's technology, they can sometimes still contact their families, you know, via electron, um, FaceTime and things like that. But they're, and they're, they're tired, you know, they're, they're happy to be where they are, but the circumstances with which they've gotten here are, are usually, are always really unpleasant. So, as I was reading this, I was just thinking of that, that turmoil that they were feeling. But God reminds them that, that he has a plan for them. And it's just a reminder to me, too, that, you know, people say the New Testament God and the Old Testament God are different. Old Testament God is grumpy God. New Testament God is nice God, right? We know that's not true, right? God's always the same. And this is it, where we can see that, right? Here God is demonstrating tender care for his people, and is giving them a message of hope. And God has this plan, and it's a good, beautiful plan of restoration. He's not forgotten them. He hasn't abandoned them. Which, I don't know if you're like me, but the first thing that I ask when anything bad happens to me, why God? Where are you, God? Why did you leave me, God? Right? And so sometimes, like the people of Judah, when we hit trials or difficult times, it can be really hard for us to see how the plan of God is working in the midst of us. Those of us who are more seasoned in life, all right, have seen plenty of times like this and know that tragedies sometimes make it hard to see God, his goodness and his sovereignty. Often, it's only after the pain has receded a little bit, we're able to see God's hand at work. We were just talking about this with the students a little while ago, of sometimes in the moment, like, you can't really see all the ins and outs theologically of God's sovereignty and, you know, all that stuff. Sometimes you're just doing well if you can just hold on to the truths that God loves you and God has a plan for you. And you just cling to those truths with all you got until you're able to look back and see how God was working. And you know what the real beauty of that is? Is that even as we are clinging to those truths and sometimes God and sometimes our, our uh, grip might slip a little bit, the real awesome thing is God is holding on to us and his grip does not ever slip. And so I just want to challenge you that it is okay to not be okay. I had a previous pastor of mine say that to me. I want to tell you that. And if you are here today and you are not okay, own it. We are a community here, and we love you and support you. And we are here to remind you of the truth when you can't see it. And so through the trials, do not lose sight of God loves you. God has a plan for you. 
And it can be really hard to believe, but hang on to that. And like I said, this is a truth for all of us this morning, but I do want to speak specifically to graduates. Graduates, being an adult is really, really hard, okay? We look like we have it together, but a lot of times we don't, all right? And it's okay to not always have everything together. It's okay when things are hard to acknowledge they're hard and really, truly struggle. But as Pastor Dave mentioned, we covenanted with you, some of you when you were little bitty babies, some of you as you were older. We are here for you, and just because you have graduated, that does not change. So, yes. Um, we Please come to us when things get hard. We love you, we care for you, we want to pray for you. But more importantly than coming to us and turning to us, turn to God, all right, and cling to him. And like I said, even when it's hard to cling to him, he still will hold on to you. So um, there's a lot of things we can take from this passage. Um, There's always two options, right? We can uh, take the good stuff now, right? Take the the, uh, path that isn't necessarily following after God but gets us what we want. Or we can make hard choices sometimes and live in obedience even when it's hard. And get the good things later. Right? We can listen to the people who tell us what we want to hear. Like I said, I don't know about you all, but that is way easier to do. <laughs> but, or we can listen to the true words of God. And so the question now is, is what will you choose? What will you choose, graduates? What will you choose younger than graduates? What will you choose older than graduates. What will you choose? Will you choose to to follow after God, to live in obedience, to hear the hard things, do the hard things, cling to God as he clings to you, or live your own path? Worship team, if you want to come on up. If we choose to live in obedience, we, we have different commands from God right now, like the whole build houses, plant gardens, that's a little bit, you know, that's a, a little bit specific to that time period, right? The seeking shalom applies to us today. But if I was going to, if someone was going to ask me, what are the Jesus' commands to us? I can think of two. One, I would say Jesus reiterates the greatest commandments, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if I was to think of something that comes specifically from Jesus in the New Testament, right? I would think the Great Commission, right? Which many of you know. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all I have commanded. God's plan isn't hard to find. He told us what his plan is right there, right? Now, do we know exactly what that looks like? Absolutely not. I wish we did. But in whatever choices we make, whatever decisions we make as we follow after God, if we are obeying that command, the, the rest of it doesn't super matter, right? So if we can focus in on that command and living in obedience to those commands, we are doing pretty well. 
And these things bring challenges. Living in obedience brings challenges, trials. Cling to what's true in those moments when you just want to give up, I'm done, it's over. Cling to what is true, which is that God is faithful and God is good. And do not lose sight of that, graduates especially. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, you've given us a word that, that speaks to us in all seasons of life. Uh, we thank you that um, you are faithful, that you, um, that you cling to us, even as, as our hold is slipping, even as we cry out, God, why have you abandoned me? Meanwhile, you're right next to saying, I'm, I'm right here. I haven't abandoned you. God, thank you that you are faithful to hold fast to us. And as you do so, God, would you remind us of your goodness? Would you remind us of uh, your peace? And God, as you remind us of those things, help us to remind others of those things when they themselves cannot see it. Help us to be those that speak truth. Help us to those that speak love and life into those we encounter. God, you are so good to us. And just let us rest in that goodness, that deep overflowing goodness you have. It's your name we pray. Amen.